Hey, this episode is brought to you by Bob's Containers. Bob's Containers is the leader in shipping container housing, modular solutions, and more. It's a no-brainer with Bob's Containers. Turn your backyard into a profitable machine with a quick Airbnb, a backyard office, or something more. We also make shipping container offices, container restrooms, laboratories, anything you can dream of. We'll containerize a solution for you. So check us out at bobscontainers.com or give us a call, 833-265-3269. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Vineyard Sun. Vineyard Sun is a local Austin company that makes quality sunglasses made from sustainable materials. You can see their styles on vineyardsun.com or follow them on Instagram at vineyard underscore sun. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Moon Tower Business Podcast. This is your host, Joseph O'Bell. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Justin Fallen and David Greenspan, who are the co-founders of Blue Case Strategic Partners. And they also are co-authors of a book called Be a Better Team by Friday, a playbook for high-performance business leaders. Justin and David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. Maybe we'll just get started with uh, maybe each of you kind of just introduce yourself to listeners and talk about stuff you worked on in the past prior to uh, launching uh, Blue Case Strategic Partners. And uh, maybe, David, you want to go first? Sure. I live in Austin, Texas. My background is that I have a PhD in high-performance psychology. So looking at why do certain teams and individuals perform at exceptional levels, even in suboptimal circumstances. One of the things that has always interested me is um, how, do you, how do you kind of bring in practical tools that will help a, a company go from good to extraordinary? Like, what does it look like for a company to be extraordinary? Um, and I was listening to a podcast the other day with the founder of LinkedIn, and he was saying, you know, you, it's really important. He was talking about AI, and he was saying it's really important to think about what is possible with AI. Because a lot of people are w- worrying about, well, what could happen? And, and he was saying, but you need to ask the questions like, what's possible? What are the, we need to imagine it, um, the greatest possible things. Because if we don't have that vision, um, we're not going to create it. And that question that he was asking, those possibility questions were really resonating with me because that's really why I created Blue Case. What is possible in companies if they were at their best? And how do you bring in practices and tools so that teams can be their best, the companies can be their best, and they can create things that are extraordinary? And so when I founded the company 13 years ago, that was really what was on my mind. Nice, nice. And I want to go back to the AI thing a little bit later when, uh, as we kind of work through the conversation. Uh, but Justin, what about you? What, what's your background? Well, I got into this business in a somewhat roundabout way. I was I graduated from college and I was at a at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And, and that's a very big basketball school. And in the first year out of college, I was working as a server in the banquet hall, the alumni center. And the very first night of the first uh, game uh, that the coach, Roy Williams, was going to be coaching the team uh, I was sitting in the back of the banquet hall and watched him coach his team. And I was so inspired and so fired up by that, that I thought I could win a national championship. I mean, you know, it's just really hit me uh, what he was doing. And he took that same group of guys who had been the year prior to the losing his team in the history of the school. And he, he took them to win the national championship. And so I have been asking that question. What is that? What was that? So really for my whole career, um, I got into 
leadership development and, and then performance coaching. I was working as a high performance coach, met David, who has a PhD in the field of high performance. And we had a pretty quick synergy. We became close friends. And then uh, it was starting to adapt the work that I was doing in leadership development and performance coaching. We melded it together with what David was doing in strategic planning and built Blue Case as a firm together. And that's that was really when things started to take off. And the practices in the book that we're writing about are a lot of a combination of our two skill sets that we've seen work over and over and over in a lot of the companies that we work in. Interesting. Well, I've read quite a few business books and you hear, you know, you listen to business podcasts and on how executives can become better leaders and take uh, the company to the next level. But I, I haven't really seen anything on like high performance psychology. That's kind of a unique thing that, that, that I haven't seen before. Can you guys talk a little bit about like how you approach that and how you work with executives and business leaders uh, through that lens? Yeah, well, a, a simple definition of high performance psychology is the flow state. So if you're familiar with that book, Flow by Mihai Chikmen. Hi, uh, I believe it's pronounced. Uh, he talks a lot about that getting in the zone. You know, when athletes are in their peak performance, it's like time disappears and they're they're operating at that next level. Michael Jordan talks about that a lot. Um, so that high performance state, that peak performance state, is something you think of in mountain climbers and professional athletes and you know, these people doing big things. But we actually work to get teams into that state where it's a state of flow, a state of creativity, a state of innovation, and a lot of what's happening is people are naturally inspired by the work they do, but there's a lot of interference in the way. And that interference is in those interpersonal dynamics. It's in the lack of clarity around what we're doing. It's the, the tensions that start to emerge as things get more complex when an organization grows. So we work to get those teams operating in that flow state where when they're in meetings, they're having that creativity. They're losing that sense of, of time a little bit because things are, are so exciting or they're moving in a way that is going towards their goals so that, that the psychology aspect is how do we get them into that the right mindset uh, to be consistently performing at higher levels than other teams. And uh, you know, again, the practices in our book outline some of the fundamentals to get teams into that state. Does that require like hyper-focus, you know, for what, what a certain goal that you're working on? Well, you know, what's interesting is when you, you're looking at what creates the flow state, what creates that high performance state, there's always a combination of actually tension or stress. There has to be something at stake and a sense of ease and relaxation. And it's right in the middle of that. And, and that's, that's been consistently shown in across these, these mediums, whether it is sports or, or uh, mountain climbing or inside of work environments. If it's too slack, Nothing's really going to happen. There's nothing at stake. If there's too much stress, which from my observation is much more the problem in companies, much more the problem is too much stress. There's not enough ease and not enough flow. So um, it's not about getting hyper-focused. It's actually about how do we remove the stressors from the team, remove the stressors from the system so that there's a lot more cohesion and that flow state can emerge. I can see that applied in like my practice. I'm, I'm an attorney and uh, I litigate and I could see how you can use that uh, framework to kind of just prepare for a trial and just kind of uh, find that ease. So there's a lot of stress in a situation like that. And if you're able to kind of take that out and then just focus on what you're working on, I, I mean, that'd be real helpful. Definitely. Yeah. You, when did you guys launch 
Blue Cave Strategic Partners? Uh, 2013. 2013. Okay. And then can you guys just talk about some of the services you offer to executives and businesses and maybe some of the companies that you currently work with? Sure. I would say we're one of the best in the world at creating high-performance leadership teams. And that includes executive teams, but but teams throughout the company. And so part so that's one of the services that we do is we come in and we work with executive teams to make them go from good to great. Uh, we also, another service that we provide is really helping with, as companies scale, either through mergers and acquisitions or just through growth, how do you solve some of those leadership and cultural challenges that come up where people are in silos, there's cross-functional communication barriers, there's some conflict, there can be tension. So we also come in and uh, we have leadership development programs that take people who are good managers, make them into great leaders and help everybody kind of speak on, have a shared language so that they can work together really well. And that both of those are really supported by executive coaching, strategic planning, and team coaching. I, I was actually talking to somebody recently that uh, that experienced a merger in a company and they were talking about how like the, the challenges that they face with uh, the acquiring company kind of just shaking everything up and in kind of instilling their rules and procedures and and they were just really inefficient and there's all this like chaos and so i mean somebody like you can go in there and kind of just help them figure things out like that right yeah exactly the mergers and acquisitions is a particularly interesting area of focus for us and i think it's one that we're specifically very good at because when you think about MA, it's a financial play and so the people backing that they're interested in the bottom line and that understandably that's why we're doing it is is to grow the company financially but the people involved i haven't heard anyone say i'm so excited to get acquired i can't wait till we get acquired you know the people are actually doing the work nobody's ever said that and it's natural it's human nature because what you're doing is you're bringing one cult company culture together with another culture and culture clashes are the root of all of our conflicts out there. And so M&A is unique because it's coming into one environment. And like you're saying, a lot of times there's one company acquiring the other company. So it's rare that there's true merger happening. A lot of times it's it's really one company bringing another company in sort of saying, all right, go ahead. Um, and you know, a lot of wise leadership, a lot of good data is supporting the investment. But then when you, when you actually get into the environment, according to... Uh, Harvard Business Review, 70% of M&As fail to produce the results they're trying to produce. And according to Deloitte, the reason for that is cultural issues. It's interpersonal issues. And so if you're not investing in the people part of it, you're basically wasting your money for, for a lot of it. You're taking a chance that it's just going to work. And uh, one time I was standing in front of a group, we, they're post-acquisition, about half and half, there's probably 50 people in the room. And I'm standing in front of the room, and this is the first time that they've had an open conversation together. They're all managers inside the company, but they're two years post-acquisition. And I could say, okay, who's part of company A and who's part of company B? And they each raise their hands because there's still the sense that there's two companies working inside one company. And of course, a guy like me standing in front of the room, you're going to see a lot of kind of arms crossed and nervousness because I'm saying we're about to have an open, honest conversation for the first time to break down the silo and make things happen here. 
there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of skepticism or tension because it's, it's been so hard for them and they've had such a hard time working together. You know, they're not going to want to do this kind of thing. But as we go through our process, as we start having them have open, honest conversations about what's been so hard for them, there starts to become a new kind of, okay, hey, maybe something's going to be different. And then we're building collaboration by having them work together in groups. We're giving them clear tools and practices to get alignment to, to uh, communicate more effectively, to be able to learn how to get things done together. And nine months later, ENPS scores had shot up from the worst in the company history, at least 40 points, I believe, in that particular company. And that's mm-hmm. consistent. You know, these points, the ENPS meaning, how likely are you to re- recommend this company to your friend? So it's the key metric of cultural engagement shoots up nine months after we start working with that team, with that group. And of course, the result is, better uh, business results and better financial results. And so it's a natural win that you that you do it. But I think what happens is a lot of people just don't know how to dissolve those silos, but we do. And that's what we do. I feel like that can be like a very common problem. I was involved in a M&A deal one time and I could see how the executive team was like more hyper-focused on like the actual transaction and the logistics of what was going to take place. And in the back burner was probably like interpersonal aspect of it. Right. And so like, that's probably one of the bigger pieces that should be kind of pushed to the top. I'd say the data supports that. Uh, I think it's just a matter of not knowing how, and why should somebody who's a great executive, who's great at making deals know how to then go in and dissolve the silos. That's why you look for professional on that. And that's what, that's, what's important about this is that it's an investment in what works. Nice. So can you talk about um, the types of companies you work with, the, kind of industries and and the sizes of companies that you typically uh, work with, with executives and, and teams? Yeah, well, we're industry agnostic. I mean, typically the companies are $100 million or plus, fast growing up to in the single digit billions. And um, what while we're industry agnostic, we're pretty selective about who we work with. So the CEO, he or she is typically frustrated that the company isn't going fast enough. There, there. That possibility that I was talking about earlier, you know, he or she feels like we're not, we're not running on all, firing on all cylinders. We're not doing everything we can do. Things are moving too slow. We should be crushing it. We should be winning the Olympics. And so they have that fire in their belly, and they see some unused potential. They also care about people. If the CEO is really, if the CEO is only interested in making money, if that's their sole objective, uh, we we step out. It's it just not a good fit because you're, you're going to wind up making the wrong decisions. A lot of the companies we work with are trying to disrupt an industry. They have something, their innovation is important, and they're trying to do something that is unusual and cool and fun and innovative. Um, so they have that kind of disruptive, innovative mindset. And then the last thing I would say is that the CEO and his or her leadership team are coachable. You know, they're not, if they're the smartest guy in the room, if they know everything, it's not a good fit. We had a call, I had a call last week and the CEO said, well, why, why would I change? I've been doing this the same way for 30 years, you know, so why, why, why do I need to change anything? And so we just said, you, you don't, and we're not a good fit for you. Right. So that's the other piece. So it really partially, it's the profile of the CEO because the CEO, the company is oftentimes a reflection of the mindset 
of the CEO. What the CEO is good at is going to be a reflection in the in the company. What the CEO is not good at is also going to be a reflection in the company. So, um, and then a lot of our companies are often tech enabled companies. That would be one thing, but we've worked everything from like AI to you know healthcare to a global furnishings designer, robotics. There's been a lot of different uh, financial services, fintech, a lot of different types of industries. Very interesting. I saw you worked with a couple of well-known Austin companies, Forehands and Kirby Lane, that are pretty pretty well known in Austin. Um, can you maybe just kind of walk through one one company that, that that you worked with, or an executive team that you worked with? And you don't have to give the name. Maybe just kind of you know start to finish where you know how you got involved, uh, some of the challenges that you saw, how you were able to help them, and then how you saw the the company uh, progress uh, because of the help you provided. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, there was one company that we worked with. Um, they were interested, like they, they were sort of curious about working with us. And they said, you know, later, later, we'll talk about it later. And then we got, a, we got a call kind of like an, one of those emergency calls because the product and development, there was tension on the team and it was beginning to slow down everything. And so when we came, so they said, we need you to come in right away and help us get our team on board because we're not going to make it. Um, and they were and they were struggling, I would say, at ten million. And when we came into the room, you could see that just the way, again, our arms crossed, the way that the product person and the developer, you know, there was definitely tension. You could cut it with a knife. And uh, so we spent two days with that team, introducing them to some of the tools of high performance teams, um, helping them make sure that they're really aligned on their strategy. And at the end of the two days, the team was different. And that company kind of continued to grow and do acquisitions. Uh, they, and as they started acquiring, they hit other challenges, right? Because that cultural integration we're just talking about, right? You, you bring in a team, it's easy to do the, the integrate the financial systems, but how do you integrate the people they had, they asked us to help with that. And so we came in and worked with all their managers to help them create one team, one company. They did over 13 acquisitions, oftentimes multiple in a year. And the CEO really cared about people. He wanted them to have a great culture. So we helped them create that shared language. So everywhere in the halls, people were, could have a shorthand for how do you deal with conflict? How do you make sure that everybody's in the same conversation? Like what, how do you start meetings? How do you have great meetings? All these different tools and practices that we have that are sort of one-page tools that then people can apply to themselves and, and teach their teams. That company went from 10 million to 1.3 billion. Wow. Um, they're now a global leader. Uh, and they continue to have a great culture. So what's what's more interesting than just their financial number, it's a place that you'd want to work. It's a place that if a friend of yours got a job there, you'd be like, that is a great company to be from. They care about people, you get development there, and they've continued to maintain their great culture. Love it. We That's worked awesome. with them for almost 10 years. So we were on that entire journey with them. I, another case study that you mentioned is Forehands. And the reason we can talk about Forehands specifically is the CEO of Forehands, Matt Briggs, wrote the foreword to our book where he acknowledges that when we started with them in 2014, uh, they were at one point of growth, one of the best CEOs I've ever worked with. He had gotten them to a particular place and he saw that they were plateauing in their growth. Uh, we came in, first we did strategic planning for a year with their team. They started to grow so fast. He's saying to us, hey, uh, how do we get this out to the next level of leaders? Because uh, we're going so fast, we're we're starting to see the complexity of that. We're losing the 
the culture that's been so important to us, how do we make sure that what makes us great goes out into the company? So we worked with them, not only at the executive level, but we started working with their next level leaders. We've been working in that capacity with them, scaling our tools and practices inside of their company uh, for the last, since 2014, since I guess that was probably since about 2016 was when we started doing that in the company. We've done that consistently every year and forehands hockey sticked in terms of their uh, financial growth. They're now 500 million plus. And uh, they just won for, a, I think, a second year in a row, best place to work. Uh, and so their culture also incre- increases. And that's what we really focus on is how do you make sure you get that exponential growth and the increase in the cultural uh, data. And it's consistent when we work with companies, this happens. That's excellent. That's great work. Um, you mentioned the book. Let's maybe jump into the book. You said, I believe it was released on May uh, this year. Maybe just talk about what inspired you to write the book, who your audience is, and, and who should who should buy it. Yeah, well, you know, one of the reasons that we wanted to write the book is we can only work with so many companies. We're we're a small boutique consultancy. We're very specialized, and we we're very selective about who we work with. Meanwhile, the tools and practices that we've seen consistently replicated in every single company that we work in, I think just makes not only the companies better, but the people who participate in our work, their families better and their communities better because they're applying the kind of communication tools that we're talking about. They're listening differently. They're they're creating different kinds of relationships, both inside their work and outside the work. And David and I have always fundamentally been most interested in what has people light up behind the sense of purpose and thrive behind their purpose and love their work and love their work environments and really love their lives. And so um, how do we scale what we do on a much bigger level so that people out there can read it who we may not be working with, who might be first-time managers, who might be running a team but experiencing the same difficulty that every team has, interpersonal tensions, communication challenges, lack of alignment, uh, lack of ownership, and be able to disseminate that. We've got really clear practices that literally, if you apply one, is going to make you better by Friday as a team. And um, if if you apply it throughout the year, you're going to consistently see growth. So we wanted to scale ourselves with this book. Also want to reach those executives who are, like David was saying, possibilities-oriented, vision-oriented. They actually do think that their company is up to making the planet better, to making society better, to making their industry better, to making... Um, to making just their workplace better because they care about people. And we want to give access to what we're doing to them so that their companies just get better. We we really believe in the power of business to make the world a better place in, in whatever capacity that is. And so the more that we can share what we do, I think the more that that happens on a bigger scale. It's an Amazon bestseller. Uh, what kind of feedback are you getting from readers? Surprised well, how yeah. good it is. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I think a lot of a lot of coaches put books out, and and that's great. Um, we really focused on. Uh, we did a lot of work on this. We spent five and a half, six years working on this book to make sure that it was bestseller quality, and that when you read it, it's really easy to read. It's really easy to understand. Um, and we're getting that kind of feedback both from CEOs who read it. And, this is really good. Wasn't expecting that. To um, people who are uh, you know, managers leading teams and saying, this is great. I'm actually using it. My book, my team is having book clubs with it. We're, we're practicing each, you know, one chapter a month. And so it's working. What we, what we wanted to do is working. So getting really great feedback on it. 
Good deal. Well, awesome. Um, well, gentlemen, is there anything else you want to share with listeners about uh, a blue case or the book or anything else you're working on for them to look out for in the future? Well, um, something to think about. If people are interested, they can go to betterteambook.com. And if they go there, they can download. We have a free assessment that they can take. There's a free chapter um, that they can uh, of the book that they can get. They could also go to bluecase.com and those are available there. So that would be a way to connect with us. We're also on LinkedIn and they can follow us and we publish um, you know, articles and, and good resources there. So if they're interested, they can follow us there. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Our website is bluecase.com. If you want to learn more about Bluecase, bluecase.com. Excellent. I'll put that information in the show notes for listeners. Uh to find and then the final question for both of you is what's your favorite restaurant in austin texas <laughs> uh you, you told us you're going to ask this so i've been thinking about it as we've been talking here uh i have two answers my first answer is there is a restaurant that's been around longer than austin has been a foodie town called wink uh on and lamar and I think it is just one of the best experiences that you can have at a restaurant in Austin. David and I uh, have gone there to celebrate uh, our company. It's it's a it's a favorite. And then I have another favorite that my that I go with my girlfriend called Thai Fresh, just for really casual and delicious food. And I have a good time there every time I go. Great choices. I've been to both. They're amazing. I, there's so many, but one of them that I love is a restaurant called Il Bruto. It's on the east side. They have this beautiful tree outside that you can sit under. The chef, Aaron, is a friend. He is from Italy, and he sources all of his food very meticulously, like every single bread, every single you know piece of salami. And the food is really fresh. The service is great. They have wonderful wine. Um, it's just a great experience. And they, at the end of the meal, they give you lemoncello, which, um, which they home make in there you know, in-house. And that's, that's a lot of fun too. So it's warm, it's friendly, the food's great and just a beautiful environment that makes you feel, feel like you're one of the most important customers when you go there. Sounds great. I haven't been there, but I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Uh, that sounds great. great. Justin, David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing uh, what you're working on and, and the book that, that you wrote and um, hope to have you get on the podcast sometime. Yeah. Joseph, what's yours? What's your favorite restaurant? Man, I really like, uh, Nixta Taqueria. Have oh. you been? It's on the east side. It's uh, I actually had them on the podcast. They have a really interesting story backstory. <laughs> uh, but they make like gourmet style tacos, uh, and their tortillas are made with like indigenous corn from Mexico. And actually, they That's make great. more tacos that have uh, like vegetables and stuff. And it doesn't sound it sounds kind of weird, but it's delicious. It's very very good. Recommend. Awesome. It. I wrote great. it down. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Vineyard Sun. Vineyard Sun is a local Austin company that makes quality sunglasses made from sustainable materials. You can see their styles on vineyardsun.com or follow them on Instagram at vineyard underscore sun.